you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis 37. A couple of things uh, before we jump in. Um, next Saturday, from 5.30 to 7.30 at Heather Ligler's house, there's going to be dinner and a game night for students if you're a middle school or high school student, not a college student. Y'all don't count. Middle school, high school students. Uh, Heather Ligler's house, if, you have, uh, if you're interested in that, you can see Kim afterwards. Um, next Wednesday, January 28th at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a welcome reception at Greg and Amy Norris's house. So if, if uh, you've been new to Stonebridge, I'd say in the last six months, and you're thinking this might be a place that you want to land, I would strongly encourage you to come. I want to give you a chance to meet some of the leadership and to give us a chance to meet you. If you have some questions, you can ask, and there's some things that I want to share. So that's uh, on the 28th at 7, there's a sign-up sheet out front. And then uh, on the 29th at 7 o'clock at Vintage, right up the street, the women of the church are going to gather and uh, connect with one another. It's really the heart of what we're trying to do is get people in meaningful relationships. And so the women are going to gather at 7 o'clock on January 29th at Vintage uh, to do that. So if you're a woman, I would say go to that. Zach and Mallory, we all stand up? On February, y'all can sit back down now. I just want everybody to see who you are. On uh, February 8th, uh, we're going to have kind of a going away deal for Zach and Mallory. They're headed to New Zealand on February the 11th um, to be missionaries in New Zealand for maybe nine or plus months, something like that. We'll be hearing more from them. So I just put that on your calendar. We're going to have a going away kind of meal fundraiser type deal for them. I'll tell you some more about that coming up, but you can just put that on your calendar. Uh, one other thing on the finance stuff from Al, some of you, it doesn't matter. For some of you, it really does matter, and I would say if it matters and there's information that you don't have, ask. Just ask. We're trying to be as open as we can without um, putting the people who don't care to sleep. So we're trying to walk that balance. If there's more information that you want, ask me or ask Al, and we'll be more than happy to, to give you, um, to answer your questions as best we can. A few few years ago, maybe two years ago, I told you all this story. Um, Alex, you showed that picture. I showed, told you all this story about a guy named Larry Walters who in 1982 became famous for doing something really stupid. What Larry did, Larry always wanted to fly, but he had bad eyesight, so he couldn't be a pilot. He um, couldn't get into the Air Force. And so one day he had this brilliant idea that he would take that chair um, that he bought at Sears, and to that chair he would attach 45 helium-filled weather balloons. They were eight feet in diameter. So he attached 45 helium-filled weather balloons to this chair. Those milk jugs were filled with water to kind of serve as some, I guess, some weight for him. Larry put on a parachute. He got a pellet gun, a CB, a camera, some sandwiches, and some beer. <laughs> and he assumed his plan was to have a lazy afternoon floating about 300 feet or so in the air. So that was kind of this plan he and his girlfriend and some of his friends had come up with was he had all of his supplies to have a relaxing afternoon and he would just kind of circle, I guess, um, in this chair. So he had these 45 balloons and the way they, they were kind of keeping him to the ground is he was tied to the bumper of a truck, I think, and when they cut the rope that was holding the chair to the truck, they miscalculated 
how much lift they would get. Larry went three miles into the air. 16,000 feet. And Larry was scared. Because <laughs> he was sitting in that chair. So he had the pellet gun because his plan was when he wanted to land, he was just going to shoot some of the balloons and he was going to come down. But once you're at 16,000 feet, he started thinking, if this thing gets, if I start, if we knock the balance off, I'm done. So he gets nervous. He's floating about 45 minutes. He actually floats into Long Beach, some airport in Long Beach. He's in their federal airspace at this point. And he doesn't know what to do. The air is thin up there. He's freezing. He's starting to get dizzy because, uh, again, the oxygen content's less when that high up. And so he shoots a few balloons because he doesn't have any other choice. Uh, he comes down a little bit. He actually gets wrapped up in some power lines. He knocks power out to the city for about 20 minutes. But he is able to manage to get to a telephone pole and climb down. And when he climbs down, obviously, there's a big media circus at that point sticking microphones in his face, and they don't even know his name. Why'd you do it? What were you thinking about? What was going through your mind? And he just said, a man can't just sit around. So that's Larry. We're going to come back to him. This is Genesis. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. So he kind of was a tattletale. Now Israel, it's another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream and he told his brothers, Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Larry Walters had a dream, and it was to fly. This is what he said. He was interviewed sometime after he kind of got famous. He was semi-famous, and this is what he said. It was something I had to do. I had this dream for 20 years, and if I hadn't done it, I think I would have ended up in the funny farm. I didn't think that by fulfilling my goal in life, my dream, that it would create such a stir and make people laugh. Larry had a dream and he went for it. Joseph had a dream also. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what it means to have a dream and then to do that dream. I mentioned this a little bit last week. I think there are kind of three groups of people. There are people who don't have any idea what God's desires are for them. There are I think a huge chunk of people who know what God's desires are them, what his dream for them is, but they're not doing it. And then there are folks who know and are actually living that. And this is the category that we want to be in. We want to be people who know what God... Am I ringing? Um, we want to be people who know what God wants for us, and then we actually do that. It's not ringing anymore, but I don't know if it's coming out. So, um, 
that's kind of where we're going to be over the next few weeks. We have to start with this idea of a dream, that God has a dream for you. Then over the next few weeks, we're going to figure out what does it look like to actually do that dream, to live that out. Last week, we talked about the difference between wisdom and revelation. And I said that wisdom is kind of holy common sense. Wisdom is um, how God usually works. It's how life usually works. And then there's revelation, which is a specific direction for a particular instance in your life. And we kind of talked about there's this road, and on one side there's the wisdom ditch, and on one side there's the revelation ditch, and we don't want to fall in either one. We want to stay on the road. So we've got to hold both of these things in tension. We said people who are prone towards wisdom, who are bent that way, that kind of what happens to them is they make a lot of good decisions, but they never make great ones. Because it, you have to be open to revelation to make great decisions. That's, that was Gideon, choosing to fight 120,000 people or whatever with 300 men. That's ridiculous. That's, wisdom says you don't do that. But Revelation says yes. And so Gideon said yes, and there's this great story. They had this great testimony of God working in their life. So wisdom people, the ditch we can fall into is we make a lot of good decisions because wisdom is what usually happens, but we rarely make great ones because we're not open to Revelation. And then on the other side, we've got Revelation people. Who make, a, who make great decisions and make terrible decisions and nothing in between. It's a home run or it's a strikeout. When they hear the Lord and he speaks, they're on it and it's good and it's wonderful. But when he doesn't, they just kind of wallow or we wallow around and don't really do much of anything. And we don't want to fall in that ditch either. We need to hold both of those things if we want to stay on the road. And this morning I want to look a little bit about uh, at this idea that God has a dream for us. And there's kind of twin dangers. There's ditches on either side of the road. What we want to do is we want to recognize that God has a dream for us and we want to walk into that. But we also need to realize kind of who we are and that we can be bent one way or the other and there are ditches on either side. Many of you have heard the verse Jeremiah 29 11. That's a real popular verse. You graduate from high school and they tattoo that on your coffee cups and magnets and all these things that God has a plan for your life. I have plans for you, says the Lord, plans to do good to you, not to harm you, plans to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. That's, that idea is in Jeremiah 29, 11, and it's true. And some of us are Jeremiah people. We're bent that way. We know God is sovereign. He has a plan. He's in control, and I need to figure out what that plan is. And, and so that's, that's what we do. We need you to tell us what to do. We talked last week about Psalm 37, 4, that if we delight in the Lord, he'll give us the desires of our hearts. Some of us are bent that way. We're kind of Psalm 37 people, and we say God is good, and he delights in us, and there's things in my heart, and so I'm just going to do them. And there's, there's tension there. There's, there's ditches on either side of the road. The people who are kind of prone towards Jeremiah, kind of the ditch we can fall into is we waste a lot. We waste a lot of time, and we waste a lot of opportunities waiting on the perfect thing. We know God has a plan, and we know it's wonderful, and so we don't want to do anything other than that, so we spend a lot of time just kind of waiting on God to say something to us and to direct us. And we can miss a lot of time. And we can miss a lot of opportunities. Some of us miss years of our life, kind of wandering aimlessly, relationship to relationship, job to job, country to country, whatever, just waiting on this perfect thing to come. Then there are psalm people. And some of us, there's a ditch over here, and it's presumption. And we can assume that everything that we want to do is what God wants us to do. And we might be productive, and we might accomplish a lot of stuff, but a lot of what we accomplish is just what we accomplish. It's not what the Lord wanted us to accomplish at all. And so we've got this tension that we've got to hold. Like, if you take God out of the equation, those guys are in every movie. There's the slacker guy who doesn't shave and doesn't tuck in his shirt and lives on your couch and he's the life of the party and 
wanders around from thing to thing. That's kind of the, that's the Jeremiah ditch. And then there's the guy with the suit and the BMW and the mortgage, and he's real tight. And, you know, the whole point of the movie is to get the tight guy to be loose. And then the loose guy realizes he's got to be tight with some things, and they all live happily ever after. You've seen that movie about 112 times. That's, those are kind of stereotypes of where we are. And then you, I think even as Christians, we have that. We put God into the picture, but it's still the same way. I'm bent towards Jeremiah. God, there's a plan, and I need to know what it is. And until you tell me, I'm just going to hang out here. Or there's things in my heart, and I'm going to do them until you say something else. And both of those things can be okay, but they're ditches. And the enemy doesn't care what ditch you fall into, as long as you fall into a ditch. Because if you're in a ditch, then you're not on the road. If you're not on the road, you're not making any progress. So just hold those things in intention. And if you don't know which way you're bent, ask people who love you and they'll tell you. And you need to know. If you're bent towards Jeremiah, then it might be extra work for you to kind of straighten up. You need to lean towards the psalm if you're bent towards Jeremiah. If your God is sovereign and he has a plan and he's in control, I'm going to wait on that. You might have to lean a little bit heavy towards, you know what? There's stuff in my heart and I can do those things. There's wisdom and I can live in that wisdom. If you're, if you're bent towards Psalms and you're just going and you're doing and you're honestly not really engaging the Lord a whole lot, sure, if he knocks you over, you'll say, what? But otherwise, you're just kind of plowing ahead. You need to maybe bend back a little more towards Jeremiah and recognize there's things God wants to do in your life. There's, your plan might not be his plan and he's going to win. So you need to pay attention to what he could be saying to you. So all that to say, as we look at this idea over the next few weeks of dreaming and doing, We've got to hold those things in tension. We need to hold wisdom and revelation in tension. We need to hold Jeremiah and Psalms in tension, recognizing that they're both good and the excesses of both are bad. They're they're ditches on either side of the road, and neither one of them is helpful. One ditch is not better than the other. Ditches are bad. The road is good. So that's where we want to stay. We want to stay on the road. So a few things about the dream. First thing is God has one for you. If you're a person, God has a dream for you. Plain and simple. Many of you know that. Some of you don't. Everybody needs to get it. If you're a person, God created you and he's created a dream for you to live. Now, the thing about this dream is it's not about you. It's always about other people. This is Genesis 45, starting in verse 5. A little set up without going through the whole story of Joseph. So Joseph has these dreams and the next scene is His brothers throw him in a pit because they're tired of him. And the next scene is they sell him into slavery. And then the next scene is uh, he gets thrown in jail. He's falsely accused of trying to uh, sleep with a lady. And he didn't do it, but it doesn't matter. So he gets thrown in jail. And the next scene is he's forgotten for two years. And the next scene is the Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt, has a dream. And nobody can figure out the dream. And they bring Joseph in front of him. And Joseph can tell him the dream. And in the dream... This is what God says. There's going to be seven years where there's going to be a ton of food and there's going to be seven years of famine. And so what Pharaoh says is, well, if you, Joseph, are smart enough to figure out the dream, then you're smart enough to help us get through this time. So he makes Joseph second in command, which is a big deal. So he's second in command in the whole kingdom, which basically probably makes him the second most powerful man in the world. Egypt was kind of the ruling power at the time. So that's Joseph. And for the seven years where there's plenty, he just sets aside. He's just setting aside grain. And then the seven years of famine, he's able to use that grain to take care of the people who are hungry. So all of that's happening. His brothers all think he's dead. They just assume they've sold him to slavery. They haven't seen him. They've told his father they're dead. They have no idea what is going on with him. 
So they're living over here, and Egypt's over here, and they're hungry too. And their dad, Jacob, says, you need to go over there and you need to get some food. So the brothers go to get food. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him. And this is kind of when Joseph is revealing. They actually do that twice. And this is Joseph revealing himself. And they're obviously freaking out once they figure out it's Joseph because they're thinking, we're done. And Joseph says this to them, and now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been famine in the land and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. In Genesis 12, God makes a promise to a guy named Abram, Abraham and he says, you're going to be the father of many nations. Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob. Jacob has a son, Joseph. Joseph is Abraham's, whatever that is, great-grandson. If Joseph and his brothers get wiped out, that promise is not fulfilled. It's done. What God promised to Abraham will not be fulfilled if all of these guys get wiped out, if they starve to death. In Genesis, I think it's 47, says the famine's over the whole region. So there's not a lot of options for food here. And so God, in his sovereignty, maneuvers Joseph into this position where Joseph can then save his family. The point of Joseph getting moved to second in command was not so Joseph could be great. It's so Joseph could give his brothers some grain when they're hungry because God had made a promise to their, to their great-grandfather. It's all about fulfilling God's purposes. It's not about elevating any individual people. So the dream that God has for you is not about you. It's about God, and it's about other people. It's always about fulfilling his purposes, not fulfilling ours. So if I ask you, kind of what some of you who know, what's, what's God's dream for you? And if you were to tell me, if it doesn't line up with God's ultimate purposes, it's not from him. What are God's ultimate purposes? They're on the wall. The greatest commandment is to love God with everything you have. The second's like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. This great commission, what God said before, what Jesus said before he left, go into all the world and make disciples. That's what he, that's what he is doing. Since the beginning, since Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. God has been trying to create a people for himself. As many people as will, he's trying to create a people for himself. Anybody who wants to come in. He said, here's the way in, come on. That's what he's been about from the beginning. And that's what he's still about. And the dream he has for us is about that. It's about creating a people. We talk about this verse all the time, Romans 8:29. God's desire is to see as many people as possible become as much like Jesus as possible before we all die or he comes back. The dream he has for you is to take part in that. It's to help fulfill that purpose. If there's, if there's a play, if life is a play, that's the last scene. And all of us have a part. And it's working towards that last scene. It's get as many people as possible to become as much like Jesus as possible before we all die. Or Jesus comes back before the curtain falls. That's God's purpose. And what he has for each of us fits into that larger purpose. Now, don't start thinking church and what you do at church because it's different. There are things that have to happen here because we have to run. Somebody's got to push buttons and somebody's got to take out the trash and somebody's got to change diapers. and like Those things have to happen. That's not God's dream for you. It's not. This is my job. And God's dream for me is bigger than what I do as a pastor of this church. 
So you can believe 100% his dream for you is much bigger than what you do at this church or whatever church you plug into. This isn't about where you're volunteering or where you're serving. This is about how are you engaging in this people forming that God is about. How are you engaging in seeing as many people as possible become as much like Jesus as possible before we all die? And you can do some of that through the church. You'll do a lot of it outside the church because that's where the people are, most of them anyway. So don't hear me talking about church service here. This bigger than that. This is God's dream for you is much larger than where you are. So the first thing is God does have a dream for you, and we've got to kind of hold some things in tension in that. The second thing is the dream is not about you. It's about him. And the third thing I would say is it's well-suited for you. It's perfect for you, actually. I would say this is Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I, made, when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So you've got this picture of God make, creating us over here. This is Ephesians 2.10. We talk about this verse a lot too. I'm going to read this from the Amplified Bible. For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, that we may do good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. So that's life. So in Psalm 139, you've got this picture of God making people. And in Ephesians 2.10, you have this picture of God creating a life for the people that he's made. And what I want us to see is those two things go together. In Psalm 139, the picture, it's the, the images of somebody is somebody sewing. This isn't an assembly line. This isn't cookie cutters. This is delicate, intricate work. This is knowing everything about you and forming it. And there's, there's just one of you. There's not a template that he's just using over and over again. And in Ephesians 2.10, it's the same thing, kind of the pictures of a craftsman. You know, maybe he's making something out of wood or metal. And in, again, it's not an assembly line. It's individual and it's intricate. And so that's the, the picture I want you to see is he's done all this work making you and he's done all this work creating your life and his desire is for those two things to come together. For you and for me to live the life he's created for you and me to live. He's done work on both ends and none of the work is haphazard and none of the work is um, it's not circumstantial and none of it, again, it's not mass produced. Is, there's not an assembly line with people just rolling off of it. There's not an assembly line with destinies rolling off of it. He knows what you're good at. He knows what you stink at. He knows what you like. He knows what you hate. He knows that you need eight hours of sleep and that you're lactose intolerant and that you get grouchy and traffic. He knows all of that stuff. He knows all of that. And he's created this life that fits with that stuff. So he's done this and he's done that and he's, this is what he wants. Because that's when you're fully alive. And that's when he can delight in you the most fully. When, you're, when you are doing what, when you are being who you are, doing what he's created you to do. Now there's stuff in you that has to change and there's stuff in me that has to change for sure. But the core of who we are, God, he made that. And then he's made this life for you that you can fully live out of the core of who you are. 
Matthew 11.30, when Jesus is talking about people coming to him, he says, my yoke is easy. That word easy has the connotation of being well-suited, well-fitting. Jesus doesn't put something on you that doesn't fit. The yoke is what went on oxen, and that's how they pulled plows or whatever they pulled. If they didn't fit well, they weren't productive. They lost power, and it was irritating. And Jesus is saying, I don't do that. I don't put that. That's not what I'm putting on you. It's not a cookie cutter mold. It's something that fits the contours of who you are. And so we can grab onto that. Because you're going to have to give up something to take his dream. You've got to give up yours. And that can be scary because yours might be awesome. And his might be iffy. All Joseph knew was, well, all these sheaves of grain are bowing down to my sheaf of grain. He probably thought he was going to be the king. He didn't realize the detour he was going to have to take. And for some of us, we've got this idea, and maybe it's from the Lord and it's awesome, but we don't realize the detour we're about to take. And once you're on that detour, you start thinking, this is not what I signed up for, and it's easy to give up, to throw in the towel and say, I'm done. And that's when you've got to remember that this life, this destiny, this dream that God has created for you fits you perfectly. He has perfect knowledge of who you are. And so he's created this thing with that perfect knowledge. And you can, if you trust him, can be confident moving forward. Even if you've got to take a detour into jail for a while in order to get there. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week. So, God has a dream for all of us. That we need to grab that, get that, whatever the dream is not about us. But the dream suits us well. So then the question is, well, how do I know? How do I know what this dream is? And it's easy. You ask. And then you listen. God, I'm assuming that since I'm a person, you created me and you've created this thing for me. That Ephesians 2.10 applies to me just like it applies to everybody else. And that Psalm 139.10-13 applies to me just like it applies to anyone else. So help me here. I need to know how, what I'm supposed to be doing. How am I supposed to contribute to this grand plan you have of creating a people for yourself, of seeing as many people as possible become as much like Jesus as possible before y'all die? What am I supposed to be doing? You ask, and then you look. You look for direction. You look for him to speak to you. Don't do any good to pray and forget. Pray and try to remember, at least in snippets. Look around to see what he's doing. And this, to me, is probably the most important thing is you have to live. It's a lot easier to move to steer a moving ship than one that's just sitting in the dock. So get out there and actually move in a certain direction. Most of the people, I I don't want to say all because I can't remember all of them, most of the people in the Bible who were directed by God were directed while they were doing something. They were. Moses, tending his flock, and then he sees a burning bush. David, shepherding sheep. Samuel comes and says, you're going to be the king. Saul, in the New Testament, on his way to persecute Christians, sees a blinding light, and God redirects him and says, no, actually, you don't need to do that. Peter and Andrew are fishing. That's their job. They're fishing when Jesus says, come and follow me. There's this sense throughout the Bible that people are doing what's in front of them, and God can redirect them as they go. And so what I would say is, don't just sit there. It's a lot easier, in my opinion, for God to direct you if you're moving forward. The thing about your dream is it will make you great in the kingdom of God. And greatness in the kingdom of God is defined by service. So start serving. 
Look for some place, look for someone to serve. Don't hear me talking about the church. Look for some place or someone to serve. The values in the kingdom and the values of this world are completely different. Joseph, the danger in using him is he got to be the second most powerful man probably in the world. And so we can think, well, that's what God's dream is for me. Plans to prosper me, that means I'm going to be rich, to give me a hope. Well, I hope for a lot of things in the future. Well, let me tell you what that's going to be. And we can begin to think like that because that's what happened to Joseph. It's not going to happen for you. Most likely. It's not. Very rarely, because the values of the kingdom of the world and the values of the kingdom of God are so opposed to each other, very rarely can anybody be great in both at the same time. What Jesus says is the first or last, the last or first, and the greatest is the one who serves. That's not what the world says. Very rarely can you be great in both at the same time. Joseph is kind of a fluke that he's able to do that, that he's considered great in the world, and everybody says he's the second in command, and he's a stud, and you know we... We bow down to him and that God says he's tracking with me. Could happen for you. Most likely it won't. You're going to have to make a choice. Just like I'm going to have to make a choice. Which kingdom do I want to be great in? And again, greatness in the kingdom of God is defined by service. I was saying all that to say this. Do something. Serve somebody. Look for someone. If, if you're stuck, if you don't know, start serving and see how God directs your path. Once you're actually doing things, you can figure out what fits. It's hard to know what fits until you put the jacket on. If you're just looking at it on the rack, it's hard to know. Put it on and then you can figure it out. So start serving and then you'll know whether, it's, whether it fits or whether it doesn't. And if it doesn't, then take it off. And God will give you another one. You can put that one on and see if that one fits. Because it's going to fit you. But you're never going to know if it fits you until you actually give it a shot. And the way you give it a shot is you start at the bottom by serving other people. And then the Lord can direct you as you go. So you have, there's a dream for you. God has one. It might come in a supernatural way the way it did for Joseph. That'd be awesome. We'd all sign up for that. Sure, God, give me a dream and then give it to me again so I know for sure. For a lot of us, that's not the way it comes. Some of us, it comes in that type of way. A lot of us, it's people help us out and we try things and we figure them out and we realize what we're good at and what we're not good at and we see fruit and we don't see fruit and it's a little bit more of a process. Either one is great. We've said before, anything God does is great. Some of them are miracles, they're all great, we'll take it. So there's a dream for you, we've got to figure out what that is. We have a role in discerning that. Jeremiah and Psalm, we want to hold both of those. God has something for me, there are things in my heart I need to do, hold on to both of those. The thing that he has for you, it's not about you, it's about his purposes for the world. So anything that you're going to say is from God, if it's not advancing his purposes, it's not from him. And his purposes are very clear. That's what they are. So you don't have to go move across the world and live in a grass hut, but there's something about helping form God's people that you will be a part of. And this is, I think, the big thing for us is recognizing that it will fit us and nothing else will. Even you don't have perfect knowledge of yourself. If I told you to write your ticket, and I can, your ticket is not as good as his ticket for you because he knows you better. And that's hard to get. We don't like releasing to that point. But that's where we have to get. We have to recognize his, whatever his deal is for us, it's better than our deal for ourselves because he knows us better than we know us. Hard to get, but that's part of it. So his plan for you is well suited. And, and how do we figure that out? You ask, you listen, and then you live. And he'll direct you as you go. We'll get a little, little deeper into this as we go, but I just kind of wanted to set the stage. I'm going to pray. We're going to worship.
and then we'll be done. You'll come back up here. Y'all can stand up if you want. I would like you to. We'll have ministry teams in the front. If you have anything that you want prayer for, uh, we'll be more than happy to pray with you. If anything from today kind of struck you, for sure, we want to pray with you about that. I'm just going to kind of pray a general prayer over all of us. God, I do thank you um, that you have a plan and a dream for all of the 85 or 90 or whatever number of people there are in this room and that it's not generic and it's not a form and it's not even like there's like 20 to choose from. God, that you've created a life for each person in this room that's perfectly suited to the person in this room. It's a one-to-one match. And God, I pray that we would all begin over the next few weeks to one, discern what that is, and two, begin to live it out. There's a lot of things about Larry Walters that we don't want to emulate, but one thing is he had a dream and he went for it. He knew what the dream was and he went for it. And God, I pray for us individually and corporately that we would know the dreams that you have for us, the dreams as a father that you have for us as your sons and daughters. And God, that we would go for those in a way that brings glory and honor to you. So I pray, God, you would speak. Lord, I pray if there are any here who are who kind of pulling back and saying, I'm too old, I'm too set in my ways, I can't hear, whatever the excuses are. God, I pray that you would overcome those excuses, that they would give you at least a sliver of a crack to work in. They would open up the door just enough, the possibility that you have a dream for them. And God, you would slip in there and do more than we could ever ask or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.